by this time in life, you got to take what, you know, you get. Because <laughs> it's all there. <laughs> so the popping sound is going to be, we're gonna, the Lord's going to deliver us from that, amen? <laughs> I hear it. I know you hear it. So I wanted to start with a, a, an informal poll. What would be harder for you to lose? Your sense of hearing or your sense of sight? Think about it for a moment. Your sense of hearing, experiencing the whole auditory world, or your sense of sight, missing out on the whole visual world. Let's take a little poll. Those of you that would least want to lose your sense of hearing, raise your hand few musicians in the room. Those of you least want to lose your sense of sight. Oh my gosh. Wow, why is that? Why is that? Uh, yeah. I would... It was a tough one for me, because my love for music, but I still... You know, I'm 60-40 on that one, if I could choose. Losing your sight later in life would be devastating, wouldn't it? Because you're used to seeing. But imagine what it would be like to be born blind. I think of my little granddaughter, Adelina, 18 months old. What if she had been born blind? What if she had not been able to see her parents smile or her grandparents' smiles or her little dog, Prince Caspian, smile? He really smiles. We have that new creation that he's going to bring. This blind man is about to experience a taste of that renewal of creation. So Jesus continues. Can you read it with me? We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am in the light. I believe Jesus is pointing them to their mission that is to come. As he was sent by the Father, so they will be sent in the power of the Spirit into a dark world to bear witness to the light. Notice the urgency. Our days are numbered. Many of us, whenever I think of my days being numbered, this is going to date me, can remember the haunting single by Jim Croce, Time in a Bottle. In those haunting words, if I could save time in a bottle, the first thing I'd like to do is to save every day till eternity passes away just to spend them with. He wrote this song in 1970 when he heard his wife was pregnant with her first child. But three years later, on September 20th, 1973, at just 30 years old, Croce's life was cut short by a tragic plane crash. We cannot bottle time. It keeps moving. And so do the opportunities to bring light into our present dark world. Jesus says we need to work the works of God while it's day. There's an urgency. Where are the works of God needed in your world today? I believe Jesus is challenging his disciples. Instead of spending your time speculating about who's to blame for this man's suffering, look at him as a person. As a person created in the image of God. A person in which God wants to do display his works and what God can do in his life and to move from seeing him as an it to a thou 
That's a part of what happens when Jesus comes into our life. We begin to see people. One of the things I love about prayer, uh, prayer walking around my neighborhood, around my community, is I begin to see things I've never seen before. All those it's become thou's. People become people with needs. As I prayed for Oceano this week and walked around through the streets, I began to see families and individuals and all kinds of family situations and that to just begin to see the needs before my eyes as I prayed. I just commend that to you, to prayer walk your neighborhood, prayer walk your campus, prayer walk Cal Poly. You'll begin to see the blind man as a thou, not as an it. Amen? And before healing the man's eyes, he declares, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Light and darkness are huge in John's gospel. And Jesus is the light of the world that was spoken of in John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made Without him was made nothing that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. And I love this statement. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. When light comes across darkness, what wins? Light wins. Jesus wins. He has come to bring light into a dark world. Next slide. This is where it gets really fun. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Now, what's the deal with the spit and the dirt? Listen to the creation account way back in Genesis 2. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed through his nostrils, into his nostrils, the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. You see, humanity was first made of dirt and the breath of God. And the blind man is being remade in a similar way. This healing is a sign of the new creation that Jesus has come to bring in our world. And if Jesus can use spit and dirt to heal a man, how much more he can use us to bring hope to a broken world. If he can use spit and dirt, he can use you. Amen. Isn't that good news? So Jesus then sends the blind man to the pool of Siloam. Pool, the, Siloam means scent. He's sent to the pool called scent. And the blind man follows directions. It's always good to follow Jesus' directions. Picture his journey. I, I just was trying to picture the journey with his mud mask and his blindness. And he's making his way, way down to the pool in southeast Jerusalem. I, I suspect he had some help. I, I hope he had some help. And there he washes. Now there were many other pools. In Jerusalem, why this one? Remember that this all took place immediately after one of the great feasts 
of Israel, one of the three great ones. Does anybody remember from John 7 what feast was taking place? It's the Feast of Tabernacles. And in the first century, this feast included two really important rituals, the lighting of 16 oil lamps in the temple, light, and the pouring of water on the altar, light and water. Remember Israel's journey through the wilderness? God gave light through the pillar of fire for their journey and water from the rock. Each day for seven days, the priests would process down from, to the pool of Siloam, fill a golden pitcher with water, the same pool where the blind man was washing, and then process back up to the temple accompanied by psalms sung by crowds, psalms of praise. The climax of the ceremony was the pouring out of the Siloam water on the altar. And if you remember John 7, it was at this precise moment that what happened? Jesus interrupted the worship service. And what did he say? Is anybody here thirsty? Come to me and drink. Well, this is where the man washes. And if you go to the catacombs in, in Rome today, those ancient catacombs from the first, second, third century, you can still see pictures of the blind men washing in the pool of Siloam. These pictures were used to help prepare new believers for baptism. Water signifies our freedom in Christ. Israel left slavery in Egypt and passed through the waters of the Red Sea. Every believer passes through the waters of baptism and begins the journey of freedom in Christ. Amen? Water also signifies the filling of the Holy Spirit who is poured into our lives as we turn to Jesus and he enables us to unite our body and begin a life of transformation. And as the pool of Siloam means sent, baptized believers rise up and are sent into a dark world to bring light, the light of Christ. So back to the blind man. Imagine what it was like as he washed the mud off his eyes. And he opens his eyes, and the first time in his life, he sees. He sees water for the first time. He sees the stones around the pool. He looks up, and, and he sees the sky and the clouds. He sees the trees, and he's now able to connect all the sounds that he knew so, so well, because his hearing had been so mastered, with sights of Jerusalem. He jumps for joy and runs home to his parents. And imagine what it was like as he embraced his family and for the first time saw what his parents looked like. He saw their smile. Well, it's complicated. Can you read with me John 9, 8, and 9? The neighbors, those who had seen him before as a beggar, were saying, is this not the man who used to said, it is he. No, but he, others said, he, but he's like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So back in the neighborhood, things get complicated. Not everyone believes that he was their formerly blind neighbor. Imagine his joy and his frustration. Guys, it's me. I mean, we grew up together. We played kickball in the streets. Here, Here's my Jerusalem driver's license. Um, my password. You want to know my passwords? My mother's maiden name. Make my first car. Mascot of my high school. I can tell you all of it. I'm the guy. So they said to him, 
then how were your eyes open? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. I went, I washed, and I see. He tells his story. I love his directness. I love his honesty. The man called Jesus made mud and anointed. I love that word, anointed. Oh, to be anointed with Jesus' mud. I love my whole body to be anointed with Jesus' mud, if that's what it does. Amen? Don't we all wish for this? And he told me to go to Siloam to wash. I went. And notice that his understanding of Jesus is far from complete. He says, the man Jesus. But his understanding of Jesus is not a precondition for being healed by Jesus. You got that? He tells what he knows. They said to him, I don't know. This is one of his first of many I don't knows in this passage. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him, how he had received his sight. And he said to them, will you say it with him? He put mud on my eyes, I washed, and I see. Now things are getting even more complicated. I found this passage so troubling. Foremost is this. There's no mention of his neighbors sharing in his joy. They would have known his suffering. They, they knew his life. And now he could see how does... I mean, is this the way neighbors respond when a person is healed? Instead, they debate who he really is, and then some of them even haul him in before the religious authorities. What kind of neighbors are that? He gets to tell his story again, though, simply, directly, and honestly. He put mud on my eyes, I washed, I see. And so why do the neighbors drag him before the authorities? Is it a crime to be healed? Apparently. We find out some new information today. The day he was healed was a Sabbath. Jesus made mud on a Sabbath. Notice the irony of this story. Jesus displays the wonderful new creation work of God in his life. Having been blind his entire life, he now sees, but his neighbors are spiritually blind to the work of God in his life. And now, those who supposedly know their Bibles best are even more blind. Do you guys hear the irony and tragedy? John 9. Some of the Pharisees said, now I'd like you to read this as a Pharisee, please. <laughs> this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So he's again viewed as a specimen for philosophical argument. And here's the heart of their argument. The equation is, A, God only listens to the faithful. B, Jesus is not faithful. He breaks the Sabbath. Therefore, C, this man could not have been healed by Jesus. And D, that means he must be an imposter. Do you see how insane their rationale is? But it follows logically in an insane way. <laughs> so I want to ask you a question. Does faith ever bring healing? 
healing? Does faith always bring healing? Is healing always a result of faith? Good answers. You guys are passing the test. Imagine what it would be like to suffer, to be prayed for, and not be healed. And then to be told that you were not healed because of your lack of faith or lack of faithfulness. Talk about a double burden, to suffer and then to suffer the stigma of lacking faith. This is a, an amazing shame that the church does this in some parts, that we cast that burden on people. Jesus, I love it, he reverses the equation completely. Instead of requiring faith as a precondition for healing, the blind man is healed as an act of grace and his faith is the result of that healing. That is the gospel. Don't ever forget it. So, back to the story. They again are interrogating him. Please say with me, as Pharisees, what do you say about him since he's opened your eyes? And he said, he's a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight. Now they're interrogating the parents. Because remember, their equation only works if he's an imposter. The, interroga the interrogation of the parents results in the fact that, yes, he is our son. Yes, he was born blind. But how he was healed, they say, well, we don't know. He's of age. Ask him. <laughs> in other words, we don't want to get kicked out of the synagogue for this thing. See how controversial this healing is. But the blind man, you'll notice, he's, he's not only being healed physically, he's being healed spiritually as he grasps more and more of who Jesus is. Now Jesus is not just a man, he is a prophet. His, his picture of Jesus is growing. But the religious authorities are still locked in their tight categories. So they decide to go and interrogate the parents, and we see the result. And back they go for another interrogation of this poor guy. So for the second time, they called the man who's been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know this man's a sinner. And he answered, He's a sinner? I don't know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. Oh, can you say amen to that? Amen. Don't you love this guy? I told Kathy this week, when I get into the kingdom of God, I want to find him and hug him. And I just want to thank him for his courage and his honesty. His honesty about what he knew and what he didn't know. They put him on the stand and say, tell him the whole truth. We know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. And I just would, if I was him, wow. I go, I'd be tempted to fire back. You don't know nothing. You guys don't know nothing. But instead, he continues to speak with humility, courage, and honesty. Whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, once I was blind, now I see. So here's the good news, dear friends. You don't have to have everything figured out before you tell your Jesus story. Can I tell you that again? You don't have to have everything figured out before you tell your Jesus story. You don't have to be able to answer every question. The Bible does not claim to give a tidy explanation of the relationship faith and healing and suffering 
and wholeness. Philosophers and theologians have grappled with the relationship between all these realities for thousands of years, and you're not going to solve it in an argument. Can anybody say amen to that? But one thing we do know is there's a story of a faithful one who enters this messy world and takes upon himself the sin of the world. And he suffers under its weight and breaks its power and rises from the grave and beginning his work of resurrection in this broken world. One thing we know, that there's a cross in the middle of that predicament. Amen? That's good news. Is that we have a God that doesn't explain human tragedy. He enters it. And that is the gospel of our Lord Jesus. So, the blind man didn't get this whole picture. He didn't have the picture you have, post-resurrection. He was still in the process of discovering who Jesus was. And we're all in process. He had a story, though, and he said, I'm sticking to it. I'm sticking to it, no matter how much pushback. And this is my question for you. What is your one thing I know? There's a lot of things that you don't know, and it takes courage to acknowledge what you don't know. But what is the one thing you do know? Once I was... Think about your once I was. Once I was a very angry young man, very bitter at the world. And I experienced the grace of God in Jesus Christ on the way into my senior year of high school, and he began to melt that anger. Once I was, but now I am becoming. It's a beautiful thing. You all have a once I ha was and a now I am. How do we learn to tell our stories? I believe we learn to tell our stories by listening them into being. In other words, we need community to tell our stories because in telling our stories, we actually discover our I want to invite you to hold up this insert. It's in your bulletin. It's a tool we used to help craft our stories. It's, it's what I love about it. It's based on the four great movements of God's epic story in the Bible. Creation, fall, redemption, and the ongoing work of restoration. And my story and your story, we can't really see it clearly until we see it as a part of God's story. You have a creation. You have a fall. You have a redemption. And you are in the process of restoration. And this is an amazing tool to use in share, sharing your story and listening to your story with one another. We use it in our discipleship groups. It's so powerful to have people listen. And, and when you tell it honestly, and when you feel like you don't have to tidy it up and make it look perfect at the end, like some of our Christian testimonies are in the world, and you can leave it raw, and you can leave it still under construction, those are the best, the best, the best stories. So back to the interrogation of the ex-blind man in John 9. The conversation continues to escalate. The authorities keep pressing him with objections, questioning Jesus' authority to heal him. Go figure. And finally he loses it and responds with a burst of holy, great, 
amazing sarcasm. And you're going to have to read it for yourself to get that. They end up throwing him out on the street. And Jesus seeks them out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, he said, can you say it with Jesus? Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said, you have seen him. And it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. This reminds me of Thomas, by the way. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. That's the punchline of this whole story. Let me read it in the message version so you get a little bit more perspective. Jesus heard that they'd thrown the blind man out. By the way, the ex-blind man. And he was, and went and he found him. Jesus is, seeks us out. And he asked him, because Jesus knew the healing wasn't fully complete until he fully grasped who he is. He said, do you believe in the Son of Man? The man said, point him out to me, sir, so I can believe in him. Jesus said, you're looking right at him. Don't you recognize my voice? Master, I believe. And the man worshipped him. Then Jesus said, I came into the world to bring everything into the clear light of day. Making all the distinctions clear so that those who have never seen will see and those who have made a great pretense of seeing will be exposed as blind. What a story. What a reversal. The blind see and those who claim to see become more blind. So how is our healing made complete? It's made complete when we bow at the feet of Jesus and worship him. We worship him and recognize he's not merely a man, not even just a prophet, but as Lord, Lord of all creation and Lord of all new creation. I noticed in this story, as I back up from it, that no one really saw the blind man except Jesus. For everyone else, he was just an object. Not the disciples, not his neighbors, not even his parents, and certainly not the religious authorities. And I just want to announce to you, Jesus sees you this morning. He sees you. He sees your suffering. He sees that you've been created in the image of God and you're infinitely valuable. And he's come to display his works in your life. Through your simple honest story he wants to display his works to a dark world he's not going to wait till you have it all figured out about jesus he wants to use your simple honest story will you trust him will you tell your story let's pray Help us to see our story. To know one thing I know. I pray that we would tell that story and that you would use our simple stories to bring light in this dark world, in the five cities, across this county, in the places we work, live, and play. And Father, we also pray that we would see people along our path not just as objects for philosophical debate or sociological analysis, but human beings made in your image.
Give us eyes for our neighborhoods. Give us eyes for our cities. Give us eyes for the people we work with. And especially, Lord, we ask that you give us eyes for our enemies, for the people that are not like us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm-hmm.